In 1874, the British government passed a series of laws called the Regulation of Public Worship. A lot of people cared an awful lot about church back then. True. On one side, people wanted more ritual and ceremony. On the other side, they wanted mostly none. In the midst of the battle, one minister, a rector in London at a church called St. George in the East, had stopped a practice whereby people who volunteered in church services could avail themselves of liquor from the rector's cupboard before and after the service. The Reverend King closed the cupboard. We have opened it again. Welcome to the rector's cupboard. Order. Well, welcome to Rector's Cupboard. Hello. Hello, Amanda. We've got Amanda here, and we've got Todd. Hi, Allison. Hi, Hi Amanda. <laughs> Greetings. <laughs> Good to see you. Well, we get to have some fun conversations this episode and the next. It's a two-parter. Two-part episode. Two-part episode. So join us in a few weeks because for the, the conclusion. Because the topic was so interesting. <laughs> and broad. Yeah, yeah, we get to talk for a, a lot longer. It's vast. <laughs> we could keep going. <laughs> and we had, a, we had a guest host as well. We did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I guess, should I say how we came to, like, our guests that, on this episode and the next episode? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we I mean, could, do this episode and the next episode, we'll be talking with uh, two certified sex therapists, Jeremiah and Julia from the podcast Sex Evangelicals. So, I mean... If you're a little squeamish talking ex, about there sex. There are evangelicals, <laughs> there are ex-evangelicals. And then there are sex-evangelicals. And there are sex-evangelicals. I mean, I love the tagline of their podcast, which is like giving you the sex education that the evangelical church didn't want you to have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have thoughts. It, well, we've recorded the interview already. We and have. It's quite an interesting interview, and it brings up in, in my mind all kinds of questions, and yours too, I'm sure, <laughs> all of us that were on the episode, uh, where we get our kind of values from and particularly in terms of morality sexuality where we get those ideas and because the episode you could see with this episode it's now i'm thinking back to the interview and all that i'm like oh no who's that going to upset when they <laughs> said oh my goodness that's going to be scandalous there could be several be. um we'll have to see if we get some you know interesting comments <laughs> i look forward to them that could be fun send us your <laughs> thoughts listeners yeah so basically julia and jeremiah are two individuals who had psychotherapy practices Mm -hmm. and I think I'm getting it right and discovered and realized that so many people who were coming to see them for all kinds of various things uh, many shared this past where their ideas of sexuality their own behavior their own values or whatever had been largely influenced within evangelical culture well or or other forms of like high control religion I think they would call it because Jeremiah is not from an evangelical background himself but high control religion and so then they thought well let's just focus on this well, and unfortunately, I think I say this in, in the interview, I, I think they've got a, a good, healthy, you know, career ahead of them. There's there's so much work to do with yeah, this and so no many potential clients. clients. But I think what is very interesting and um, we we decided for, well, well Todd, Todd decided for our, our little banter that we're going to do before the episode is we get to talk about views of sexuality that end up being a little like fundamentalist from the left sort of perspective. Yeah, there's a there's a case in Scotland. So the leader of Scotland politically, uh, Nicola Sturgeon, has resigned recently. Some of that is around potentially ideas like or concepts around things with um, LGBTQ, trans stuff. And I, I don't think entirely that's why she resigned. And I, I'm totally informed on the issue. But so there is now within that, 
uh, political party, um, uh, a race, you know, a, who, who's mm-hmm. going to be yep. the leader. And from my understanding, again, limited, limited as it is, there is this uh, young woman named Kate Forbes, who is seen largely as the front runner, like just almost, almost like yeah. I can't say that I'm like, terribly well versed in Scottish politics. Yeah, exactly. No, but, <laughs> no, but it seems um, like she's kind of like a political superstar. Yeah, I think it's her and maybe two other people yeah. that are really cons- have any kind of chance. But she was, I think, way out in front in terms mm-hmm. of polling and such. And but she is, um, she's. I don't know if it's like she's Scottish Presbyterian or what is he called. Anyway. Um, uh, she's a, a member of the Free Church of Scotland. The Free Church of Scotland. So she professes uh, Christian faith. Yeah, Christian faith and conservative mm-hmm. Christian faith in terms of her. And so uh, there's this article in ti- in the Times of London mm-hmm. uh, by he's kind of a famous atheist, as I understand, A. N. Wilson, writer and all. Which, all kinds frankly, of I found a little surprising after I read the episode or read read the journal or uh, the article because he he almost in his tone. Is, is very almost like, ends up sounding a bit like an apologist. And like you telling me that that he's atheist was a little bit strange for me to hear because yeah, he sounds he, very defensive. So, yeah, that tone I didn't so pick up So ostensibly what the article. article is, is he's saying, so she, this Kate Forbes, was the front runner. Um, and then she was asked a question by a journalist on her opinion, I guess, on... Um, so uh, then came a question, marriage. would she support same-sex marriage? Yeah. She was not a member of the Scottish Parliament when same-sex marriage passed into law in 2014, but she was honest enough to say that as a committed Christian, as a member of the Free Church of Scotland, the We Frees, of course that's that sounds so Scottish, uh, she would not have voted for the innovation. Uh, and she said, I will defend to the hilt everybody's right in a pluralistic and tolerant society to live and love free of harassment and fear. And in the same way, I hope others can be afforded the rights as people of faith to practice fairly mainstream mainstream teaching. That is the nuance we need to capture. She was not saying she would reverse the law on gay marriage in Scotland any more than the teetotaling uh, he's now referring to uh, another uh, candidate who's Muslim. Who seems to be the other uh, front runner. That, and of course, as in his faith, not you know, having any alcohol. Um, so she was not saying she would reverse the law on gay marriage in Scotland any more than he was saying he would close down all the pubs. But the press scented uh, blood. And so then I, I guess what he's saying is people started saying she's unfit, you shouldn't have mm-hmm. this, we can't have her. I think she's still the front runner actually, but it's brought up this kind of question of tolerance, intolerance, fundamentalism. And the ar- argument of this author or this columnist in this case is that uh, there's, and again, he's not writing from his Christian faith or from Christian faith by any means, but he's saying is there's now an intolerance kind of in his, in his estimation, the other way she's being treated as, as if you can't even hold this, these views, these conservative mm-hmm. views mm-hmm. or whatever. And you, uh, so it doesn't even matter if you're going to change things, you can't hold these views. And he's in a sense come to her defense. I don't know where things are at now, but no. it's an interesting to think of, thing to think about in regards to these next two episodes, because one of the things that I was, you know, jokingly talking about, like, oh, there's things that'll be said in these episodes that are really controversial or that, like, you know, <laughs> heads up, they swear, they swear, but yeah. that's not what I'm thinking of. Uh, but, but, you <laughs> Is know, that the part that we're just concerned where, people are you, you know how people can about? listen to something and go like, they're talking about that, therefore they must think this. So mm-hmm. you know, you could mm-hmm. do this like not all the opinions expressed in this episode belong to you. Know, you know <laughs> oh, what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. um, and, but and you can be quick to dismiss it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and what like I can't listen to this anymore. These people yeah. are talking about this, therefore they must be dangerous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so what do you think of the article and and this kind of idea? Is this true? Is there a, is there an intolerance now 
working in the other direction or how do you I mean I, I think I there's think, intolerance yeah. on both sides I'm we've talked about it before that you know the the left can be just as extreme as the right mm-hmm. um it, you know people like to rip on cancel culture and all of those things but um we're if you sit on the left you're pretty quick to determine that certain things should never be spoken about and certain things are the only things that are tolerable and um if you don't believe that way then you're a terrible person. Yeah. Like there, it's this extreme, like, like moral judgment on you as a character judgment. Um, yeah. But I understand as well as I'm reading this, how quickly somebody could hear her say those things that I don't support gay marriage and think, you know, is it a big leap to look across the pond? Cause they're coming from Scotland. I think that's, he, he refers to that. that and yeah. say, look at what's happening in America. Where when, these yeah. views are Religious being imposed. Religious views are brought like abortion, into, yeah, yeah, yeah. and especially so. in light of something like Roe v. Wade yeah. coming. And like, she says that she has no intention of ever and bringing forward and reversing something. apparently she's never worked something. like that at all from no. what I've heard. Yeah. No, although when, when she says that she had no intention to have voted for the law, had she had had a chance to, like... Yeah. That's like difficult I, because then does she believe yeah. in that freedom well, for I people? I would say I, any I'm, voter at that point has absolutely within their rights to say, oh, I don't want to support someone like that, which would yes. make it, yeah. 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 I mean, I did, I did wonder, and I know Todd, you don't agree with this. Shocking that we don't agree on everything. Um, it happens. That it does, it did make me wonder when, when you're looking at particularly the two front runners as this article is talking about and they both have religious perspectives one we'd say like conservative religious perspectives one is a man one is a woman and the woman's the one getting in trouble i'm like is the problem more gender-based or is it more problematic because it's gender-based than Why the other say i don't agree I don't, you said that you didn't you think you it didn't was about gender yeah oh um <laughs> i think there is a degree of gender yeah, I'm I'm curious. Curious. i've got, story. Room, for that. I've got yeah. room for that i it's not my first reaction my first reaction is why is he being treated differently than her my first reaction there is because his islamic faith his muslim faith um has not generally been imposed certainly not in the united states like the values associated with that and not in so he's speaking people from a position don't see of minority. his mm-hmm. positions as a threat yeah whereas they have seen in mm-hmm. their own history and in their own she 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 represents something that well, is more of a threat yeah. and well, could and be things imposed. and things that that people would say they have seen and or personally experienced damage pain trauma from those perspectives like when you have someone who is saying would you support same-sex marriage and their reply is no yeah if they had had a chance to vote, that they would have voted no. Well, if and you they have would be the somebody, of your nation too. Yeah, I do understand yeah. why people are having some of the reactions about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if he was asked the same in what he said. I'm not sure the article. It, it does make me think a little bit of Canadian politicians. Sometimes mm-hmm. um, there's been backlash when. Uh, like a liberal candidate has said that they don't support abortion. Well, as an they, example. they've yeah. been told now they're not and allowed to have that view. And I think yeah. it's a similar thing. And like they, they're told they can't think a certain way, which yeah. is wrong to me. That's the fundamentalism you're talking yeah, about. Exactly. And yeah. And like, like, I don't feel like abortion is at risk in Canada. So if, you know, if that person held a seat, then mm-hmm. right. But yeah, I see problems when, when you go, you can't think a certain way and you would, you say that people are not able to have a context in which they can say, this is my personal belief versus what I believe should be legislation. Mm -hmm. And I mean, Mm -hmm. historically that has not always been a line that has been walked well. Yeah. And so I think that there, there is history that backs up people's concerns about that. But I think to say, because 
you don't believe that, you know, you don't believe in abortion, therefore you can't be this, mm-hmm. is is problematic yeah, for me. Yeah. yeah, like now you can't be liberal. Because there's part where like, mm-hmm. I think that you can entirely hold yeah. the position yeah. that you do not, you have objections to abortion, but you don't believe that you need to have legislation that exactly. prohibits, like I do yeah. believe that you can have both those things. Yeah, and I think mm-hmm. that's, I mean. It just historically, and I think maybe the difficulty for her is that as much as she said, you know, I will defend everybody's right to freedom and love freely, but she did say she would have voted against I that thing, you. Yeah. you know? So, I, I think we're still she in some backlash. doesn't fully believe in that freedom. I don't know. Seems, I, I don't know. She would have seems, prevented the freedom, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right. She, Maybe she like had it. been, you know, in... She would prefer it was a different way. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so now she's saying she wouldn't try to reverse the legislation, but maybe, had she been present at the time of the vote, could she have been a deciding factor in that vote? Well, sure. And that I, I, would yeah. scare people, of course. He, Allison, you brought attention when we were talking about this before to a line that he says, like, do we really want to let go of our, the values of our Christian past or something or mm-hmm. in terms of in, in the United Kingdom? And, the, and of course, What's he, hard he's is, assuming that we would say no, because he's thinking of like good values. But in terms of how that has been lived out politically, things like colonialism and the way Especially that out of the United Kingdom. The, well, right. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I feel like it's a bit of a logical fallacy because you go everything w- when the default position, particularly in, in Western countries like Canada, like U.S., like Britain, that largely would at least historically have availed themselves to a Christian faith everything then is tied to faith. That's right. Yes. So all the good things, so things like universities, hospitals, social programs, mm-hmm. where people are invoking their faith to say, I want to care for the poor. Welfare. I want to help educate. Mm-hmm. Those are all ascribed to Christian faith. But when you also have things like, I I am against abortion because of my faith. I am against same-sex marriage because of my faith. I, you know, am very actively, like years ago, like would have, the, the UK literally colonized the globe, like as much as they could take. <laughs> That's what I mean, out of the UK out context. Of, out of yeah. doctrines that they ascribe to Christian faith. And so yeah. I feel like that's not a helpful thing to say, but you go all the past is Christian past in and I the think, Western I think in, to world. some degree, if you can, and he writes like, you know, a white guy his age and his time and like he's got <laughs> the, kind of the, the wit and the whatever and sometimes- Hashtag not all white guys. But the, but- um, I think we, we've talked about Charles Taylor before on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, Can Canadian, you get away from Canadian him? Philosopher. Is it possible? And, and this concept of the story of subtraction, right? That, And he's writing a number of years ago, but saying in terms of a secular society... Uh, we often think that, you know, we can just, we can hold on to, we, we, you know, love is important, compassion is important, caring for people is important, but let's go, let's let go of all the religion. And he's basically saying, you can't have a story of subtraction, concepts of things like human rights, love of neighbor, love for the, Mm -hmm. love for the, Mm -hmm. the weak person, the person who largely come from various religious understandings and in, in the West, largely from Christianity. Yeah. But the nuance is what he's arguing for. He's arguing for people to see and admit that like these people who are like, Oh, you know, all human rights, human rights, human rights. We have to, and then think the problem is Christianity. We must get rid of that. It's like, where did you think these things, you know, came from? Yeah, and I think it comes down to more of a particular level. Is I think, I think that you can have understandings of faith that push you towards, you know, supporting social programs, humanitarian sort of um, exercises, and and all those things, and then you can also have from a position purported to be Christian places where you have domination, slavery, suppression of human rights. 
mm-hmm. suppression that's right. of that's the nuance. And, and so yeah. that's it the is thing, one of right? I bring things, it back like, to a Canadian context and yeah. think about Indigenous experience mm-hmm. by the church, <laughs> and, you, and we're holding that up against human rights. Yeah. And so, but in it, that same context, yeah. you have civil rights and a lot in largely mm-hmm. in Indigenous oh, things yeah. as well. Um, guided by, like he talks about Martin Luther King in here, mm-hmm. right? That there's no doubt that his his yeah. whole way of seeing the world, which wasn't just kind of civil rights, but it was the rights of the poor and the oppressed, and that you know, yep. that was absolutely informed by by his Christian faith. And so yeah. that's the nuance. So I, you know, I wouldn't probably be given to support someone like this just on political, <laughs> on, on, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, and, um, but I find. I, I think she has every right to be in, until she's trying to impose her own mm-hmm. things on, on the system. And, yeah. and that hopefully not only politicians, but voters and kind of the, you know, the mass yeah. of us would, would have more nuance and understanding yeah. than, mm-hmm. than yep. reverting to fundamentalism on the other side. And yeah. so then when we talk about sexuality and these things, like people will hear, and you, we already know, cause we've heard, the, we, we conducted the interview. Um, it, it brings up all those kinds of things, like where are these values coming from? And that person mm-hmm. thinks differently and has a different set of like ethics in terms of this or different understanding. Mm-hmm. Where does that come from? And where that, without those knee jerk reactions of. Yeah. And I think one of the things that, that as I've been reflecting on our interview and on, on this article, uh, I think one of the problem problems that we have, and honestly, I don't know how, I don't quite know how to escape it at this moment is that things become problematic when they're taken to such like a high generalized level. So in terms of sexuality, as at least um, conversations that I experienced in evangelical circles, there was a generalization of these are inherently good things and these are inherently Uh, bad things and mostly behavior based. And, and that doesn't allow for people to actually have personal preference of say in like, as far as like sexual activity, what feels good for me or what is pleasurable for me, what is desirable. It doesn't allow people to have, differences and so when you place a generalization on top of that and I think you can get it also in in politics as well that when you place a generalization to say yeah. all things like all Christians either our entire Christian well, background this, is good or, or it's bad I'm like yeah. either one is is not or helpful. I always find the way that I sometimes experience what you're saying I think is is um I have a bit of a knee-jerk reaction to when I hear somebody else accusing another person of not having values Yes. Which usually just means they don't hold the values, values that I you have. have. But yes. as if there's some kind of like valueless person that. So in, uh, in sexuality, that's one too. Like if you hold different ways of thinking, like that, all of a sudden you're you're cast as somebody who only cares about pleasure or only cares about yeah. yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, actually, the reason they have these values, even if I might have differ mm-hmm. from from those that, that expression, has a has a moral system to it that is very and and is reaction in some in some yeah. cases as we'll talk about in this to things like you know, how sexuality was talked about within evangelicalism or something like that, right? So then it's like, oh, things are so much more permissive these days. And it's like, they're way less permissive in many ways than they used to be. It's just that they're not like this. They're not like this, your Mm -hmm. understanding. And so give that person some space, just as we should, I think, to somebody like Kate Forbes. Give people space who who see things differently. And I think all that will come up. I appreciated something Julia said, and we'll hear it later on. It was kind of like an anecdotal story where they were talking about values specifically. And as she worked with a patient, they discovered that they were more aligned than not. Uh, even, though, well even though even though they felt values. like they were, you know, the they came in feeling 
like they were opposed in values and actually that that's not well that's what was said i think what it all comes down to is yeah you have to have those mm -hmm. those conversations engaging the humanity and other people yeah so much of this conversation reminds me of our conversation with linda k klein yes Um, which go back and listen to that if you have which is our common that's that's kind of a common thread yeah um just in terms of you know personally for me what it brought up and just like Mm -hmm. again back to the oh i'm not alone yeah. And so I appreciate that a I lot. I think that's in, really well you know, put. I, I really like what you say there as we kind of close out this banter time that more aligned than you think. Yeah. That leave space for that. We've talked mm-hmm, before about mm-hmm. cha- listening charitably. Yes. Right? Yeah. I think if people listen to Kate Forbes charitably, there might be something different. Then yeah. again, you don't have to agree on these issues. And on the other hand, yeah, on the other side, if they listen to, you know, some, some non-Christian person who has all these oh, different goodness. views, but listen charitably, yeah. you'll see that, that they're mm-hmm. often more aligned than, than we think. So, well, thank you so much. Yes. It's great. And two part. Two part. Episode. Two parts. So, uh, the conclusion will be next time. Enjoy this <laughs> part. Well, we're very grateful today to be joined by some people that we've been listening to for some time now. Uh, their podcast. It's Julia and Jeremiah, and I'm pleased to introduce them now. Sex Evangelicals is the podcast about the sex education that the church didn't want you to have. Co-hosts Jeremiah Gibson and Julia Postuma are both licensed psychotherapists in Massachusetts and certified sex therapists. They both grew up in and have since left evangelical communities and are dedicated to providing spaces for people to have the best possible relationships and sexual experiences. They currently live in Utrecht. Did, did I say that right? Okay, good. I mean, uh, more fled. More fled. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you guys do that. In the Netherlands, where they enjoy hiking and traveling and cooking um, and eating good foods and great conversations. Thank you both for joining us. Thank it's you great so much. To, yeah, to have you, to speak with you. I know it's by Zoom, but in, in person uh, after hearing your voices on the podcast so much. And also want to introduce here today our co-host, Allison, who's yes, here. Yes, I am here as well. I'm not going to escape a sex conversation. Yeah, and then, and then we're or really pleased to have a, our occasional co-host, uh, Ken, is here as well. Ken Best. Uh, Ken not, Best, not, not our Cupboard, cupboard master, master Ken Best. So Ken has joined us a number of times. Both Allison and and Ken um, have lots of good questions and their own stories and such. So I'm really in, I'm really excited for this conversation. But I thought we'd start uh, Julia and Jeremiah with in your podcast. You do you've done a series fairly recently. Um, I think the seven deadly sins of basically they're the deadly sins like things that you were taught that you shouldn't have been taught is that correct is that good sexual ones the sexual sexual the deadly sexual things you were taught but that's kind of unnecessary (laughs) because we all know that the deadly ones were the sexual ones the the scene is you're in a church you know youth lounge or something oh god i'm envisioning this Um, now i know it all comes back and in walks either the the, body response in walks the youth pastor or the sunday school teacher or the so it's kind of set up as a Sunday school class, and now you're about to be taught some things. You guys, those who are listening, go and find these episodes because they're fantastic. Um, and then you've got a little Sunday school lesson where you guys outline. So I'm gonna kind of fire a few kind of scenarios at you, and now right. you two guys, and you know, you're the Sunday school teachers, so it's great because you know, in walks the usually you know the male youth pastor, like, hey, big guy, how's it going? Hey, oh. dude. Um, and then the like, and then the female youth leader. <laughs> who is there because, you know, you have to have Obviously. a female youth leader to talk to the, the, the young women. Oh, volunteer, yes. Women. No, they wouldn't be paid. So 
you yeah. can, of course not. You can have a scenario where you're separating the boys and the girls, like because that often happened, right? Um, or they're <laughs> together. So you guys run with it. But here's the first scenario. Hi, everybody. Um, let's talk about what sex is, boys and girls. Now, go with us. Here's what sex is. You're the teacher. Take it. And the Sunday school teachers, yes. correct? Not the sex therapist. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, right. yes, please. please. Yeah. <laughs> well, technically, we shouldn't be having this conversation because are any of you married? No, didn't think so. Do not have sex before you get married. Do not even think about it. Oh, so you're Julia, not even... That's the... all you need to know. Yeah. So it's next really question. just this beautiful magical experience that I I can't tell you what it is because it's just so holy. It's just, <laughs> it's too holy for you to know until you've crossed the, 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 the crossed the threshold <laughs> into, into marital bliss. And yeah. then it just gets better. The wedding night is going to be the best sex of your life, but also it does get better every single day. It's just, I don't know how you will ever get anything done with the rest of your life. You will just be sexing it up all the time. <laughs> and you'll figure it out as you go along. But it's going to be perfect right away. But of it's course. also not going to be perfect. Okay, so really I'm like a kid you in your girls. class and I'm going like, what's going on? <laughs> it's going to hurt a lot for you girls. That's normal. It's just, it's normal for it to hurt. Don't worry. It will get better. But the first time is still the best. But it's not because it gets better. So, uh, okay, so now that... <laughs> That was really good. So scenario number two is that that scene where now we're going to introduce that concept of the world. Mm. Oh. You know, oh. The world. The boys and girls. See, they don't say boys and girls anymore, do they? Anyway. Guys, you guys. Everybody. Hey, you guys. Yeah, and that covers everybody. Yeah. Cool youth pastor. Hey, guys. So, hey, guys. guys um, no. It's really important. Oh, we're going to be talking about We're going to be talking oh, about, we're gonna be talking about Sorry, sex I'm, I'm today. I'm talking with Canadians. My apologies. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. We'll take y'all. We're, we're going to be talking about sex today, um, and it's really important that you listen to what we're saying because the world is going to send you some really bad messages, and you're going to hear these messages everywhere. And so we want to tell you what God uh, thinks about sex because the world is sending you these, these terribly dangerous messages. Now fill that in a little bit for us. Ooh. You've already done a really good job introducing right. that. Right. I mean, I have everything my 16-year-old self would have prayed against. Mm. So I have become the world. So I am just um, evil. So what is the world telling you then? The world is telling you like, just have sex whenever you want and do whatever you want. And do, is that kind of, that's the messages that those Sunday school teachers would say is being sent. Yeah. But you know what? What's important is that you don't have sex before you get Back married. That. <laughs> that's like the we're important thing. We're not going to really tell you we're what the world is going to think either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's too dangerous. That's, it's just too dangerous <laughs> for you. We're not no. going to tell you what the world's going to tell you. That's too close to actually just, talking just, about yeah. sex. Just don't do it. They might say like to talk about like love and like you know why would it matter if you're a woman who loves a woman and but that's I mean that's going to sound nice because they use the language of love but don't buy into those lies you harlots just oh, that's really don't. good that, harlot no. is one of my favorite yeah. words it, just it is it is very, harlot so seductress adulteress yeah. <laughs> temptress that's um I don't Isabel. remember. I, I didn't have any of these lessons in Sunday school. I didn't really go to Sunday school. Did you? Did it? Did it yeah, you? Of course yeah, I okay, did. Sorry. I'm trying to remember. It's very triggering. But what, what Jeremiah is saying is basically the dominant message. Just don't do it. <laughs> just just what, don't do what's it. Your, what's your curiosity? I don't. 
but it doesn't matter. No. Just, just are most do of the kids sitting there? So let's say they're fourteen to seventeen years old, or something like that, right? Are most of the kids who are in that class in in the situation where they might go and have sex pretty soon? Like, I, like I'm just thinking. So I now think there's might another hope question. That they might. There, there's another question. Then it, okay, you know. So even thinking about like having sex with somebody else like that, but I'm starting to have these feelings. Um, just, just myself, I'm starting, you know, looking at certain things or doing like, um, what, what about just how I'm supposed to be thinking about sex or the other sex? Or what about some of those messages that are sent? So go back into that Sunday school class. Monster. Boys, (laughs) boys, this is, this is the kind of thing you might be feeling about sex. We're going to tell you. Now, now, Julia, let's be a little bit easier with the kids here. (laughs) Something that we can share with, with them is. If you're going to have feelings for someone, just make sure that you wouldn't do anything that you would feel embarrassed about someone else seeing in public. Oh, my goodness. Like, imagine uh, imagine that you're sitting on the steps of the Washington Monument, and you have a bunch of tourists walking by. And uh, do you want them to see you, like, making out and having sex and thinking, oh, my gosh, those two people I are all over yes, each other. Yes, that would be. Uh, actually, <laughs> that would be. That's, that see, that's what I would Say that to the <laughs> exhibitionist. Yes. And yeah. they're like, everything <laughs> is open. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I remember. Now I'm just thinking back to church stuff and Sunday school stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm actually quote, quoting from Real Sex by Lauren Winner. This oh, is the, this is. Oh, that. you did a great this is example. The she uses is, is is on Washington Monument. So. Yeah, right. the, but you're talking about again with a partner. There's also that like don't do anything like God can see you. Oh, God sees you. Even oh, yeah, you, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> the cloud of witnesses. God's seeing a lot right. of people. The cloud of witnesses. Oh, not, not okay, yeah. Ken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just. Yes, I don't know why I have this in my head, you guys, but I'm, I'm disclosing. It's okay. A, a, a line from an elders meeting. That will forever be remembered. So me as a pastor with the board of elders, this is a meeting in April. And at the end of the meeting, the most kind of conservative, rigid kind of guy who's always was always upset at me um, says, you know, I hate to have to bring this up, which is always awesome at the end of it, like a 1030 night at an elders meeting. Right. I hate to have to bring this up. But and you know what came next? But I'm concerned about our Christmas Eve service. Keep in mind, this was April. (laughs) <laughs> and then he said, I think our Christmas Eve service sent the wrong sexual messages. <laughs> so anyway, oh. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> People can fill in that, yeah, that narrative sexual. as yeah, they yeah. wish. Yeah, I think it was because yeah. a, a woman played the piano who he Whoa. knew was sexually active. Oh my! Um, and he Unmarried. Was Imagine <laughs> the way that she not married. The way not she married. handled those keys. So back to your no and sex. And it totally ruined the birth tell. of Jesus. <laughs> uh, thank you for your lesson. It's all clear the to me now. The angels too hot or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. The angels were too. It caused hot. some non-immaculate conceptions. <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, well, thank you for your lesson. That's really helpful, and I think now I'm. I fully, have no more questions. I'm fully equipped to deal with the emotional and spiritual things that I'm. Uh, <laughs> Um, yes. So, uh, lead us on. (laughs) Okay. So we'll conclude our Sunday school lesson now. (laughs) Um, (laughs) One thing that I'd like to fill in for listeners is kind of our connection with you guys. You guys had reached out to us uh, probably a few months ago, maybe at this point. I don't know. Time doesn't matter anymore. Um, because we have a little bit of, well, sure. I'll call her a friend. I'll, I'll be you know, bold enough to do that. A little bit of a friend in common. Yeah, and Linda K. Klein. Yeah. It's a friend. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so Linda K. Klein, and we talked to her about her book, Pure. And so mm-hmm. from that, you guys know Linda, correct? 
Yeah. 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 Linda's a friend. So, yes. Like an actual friend. Actual friend. Friend. You've spoken to her say. more than once. <laughs> I, I like to She's in my cell phone. Oh, there you go. You that's for real. You win, Jeremiah. And so <laughs> I'm really grateful for the work that you guys do and for Linda's work as well. And I think that, I mean, unfortunately, I'd say unfortunately, maybe that's not actually the correct word. Um, there is so much material to address. Like, I feel like you guys have job security for life, unfortunately. Sadly, yes. <laughs> so I'd love it if now that we've kind of, so anybody who hasn't listened to the Linda K. Klein episode, go back, listen to that. If you want to be talking about sex more or listening to us talk about sex more, there's, there's some really good triggering difficult well, things that in one's, that one. That one's mostly on purity culture. That too, one's, yeah. And we can touch base on that because there's, there's a lot of shit there. Um, or don't touch base. No bases. Yeah. No sexual bases. Just, just don't touch. Sorry. Touch only first base. <laughs> I'm not sure that that's even permitted. Um, no bases. No, no bases. Shall we touch. No bases. No touching. Nothing. Um, so we'd love if you guys could tell us a little bit about yourselves. Uh, we've, you know, talked a little bit that you guys are psychotherapists, sex therapists, um, and you work in, yeah, the space of... Um, wanting to help people kind of reinterpret and have like their best sexual selves and experiences. Um, but tell us about what you do, um, how you came to be doing that, and specifically a little bit about your podcast. As you already mentioned, we're licensed psychotherapists and certified sex therapists, which is quite the mouthful. And you had <laughs> rightfully mentioned... Great metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about mouthfuls in yeah. another way. <laughs> well, you had mentioned that we have job security probably forever, which is true. And we would actually love to have less job security, which is how we me. developed Sex Evangelicals. Mm -hmm. We met each other in Boston uh, while we were already practicing sex therapy in 2018. And when we met each other, we were at uh, various points of personal crises, sexually, relationally, spiritually, fill in all of the LYs, and we were probably in some degree of crisis. And the sharing of our stories then led to the project of Sex Evangelicals. So I had just been fired from a church in 2018 for my views on sexuality. Oh, sorry. For, <laughs> for what? Uh, for, for my views on sexuality. Okay. okay. Um, I think the congratulations and, can stick then. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate that. And so when Julia, when you and I met, we were, we kind of trauma bonded <laughs> over our experiences of uh, navigating evangelical Christianity. Uh, we were both doing some professional presentations at different uh, Christian schools, but uh, you, you've, you've said this well, that there's a really instant bond when someone that you know understands just the bizarre quirks of Christian camp yeah, and yeah. purity mm -hmm. rings yes. and Bible yeah. drills. And and so we began talking more and, and, and eventually kind of moved into a sexual and romantic relationship. Uh, but but that was centered around our shared work and passion for uh, for for doing sex therapy and for providing healing for 
folks who uh, grew up in similar contexts that that you and I did. Yes. And something important to add is the geography of it, because we we met in Boston. And although I did grow up in Massachusetts, I did not grow up in the city. I grew up in a very strange environment, which I would be happy to describe later. And many of the sex therapists in Boston who are phenomenal don't have the understanding personally and professionally that the two of us have in working with fundamentalist or high control religious groups. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. particularly being in the Northeast Mm -hmm. and then meeting somebody who could understand that was Mm -hmm. personally a sigh of relief because in the Midwest, which is where I had lived for several years, people have a bit more of an understanding in the states around purity culture. And there are varying degrees of it, not that we want to compare pain because it isn't helpful. Uh, But in Boston, I I didn't have professional or personal networks who had that understanding. So that was one of the other special reasons um, that I was able to to connect with you both personally and professionally. And as our relationship kept developing, we would take these walks around Jamaica Pond in Boston for anyone listening in Boston. And sadly, we realized that our experiences were so not unique. And that was, on one hand, you have a sense of, oh, okay, I'm not alone. And then at the same time, you've got like the crushing weight that I'm like continuing to experience on a daily basis of like, oh, fuck, this problem around sexuality and religion is massive. Mm -hmm. And if we can do some work before people get to the point of spending Mm -hmm. thousands of dollars in therapy, I would love to have less job security. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, I'm very grateful for the conversations that that you guys are having and and there's part where, I mean, I think for, in my experience, there was definitely, I grew up reasonably fundamentalist Baptist. And so there was good doses of moralities, lots of understandings about what was appropriate, not appropriate sort of frameworks for sex. And I think that if I can be charitable in, for, for my parents, at least specifically, I, I don't think that it was necessarily as a means of control. I think they truly bought into that they were trying to protect me and trying to keep sure. me from, from harm. And, and yet... And yet there was yeah. still so much. And most of the people, at least in, in my kind of friend circle, social circle, have kind of suffered some similar things. And I think it's one of those yeah. things. And I remember specifically Amanda and I texting as we were reading through Pure in preparation for our, our conversation with Linda and being like, oh my gosh, this is far too, like, did you see this? Did you see this? It just, too much of mm-hmm. it was familiar. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's, so I think it's one of those things that I'm, I'm really grateful that there are places that are having good conversations around this where we can like, let's actually just talk about sex mm-hmm. because mostly it doesn't yeah. get talked about as we went back to our Sunday school lesson, except just don't, yeah don't right. until you're married and then you'll figure it all out. And that's not right. helpful, at least in right. my personal experience. Yeah. yeah. Just, yeah. Just jumping in for a sec. I, would, I just wondered, um, what do you see as being sort of common trauma responses? Like for people who have who are survivors of purity culture, what do you see? How does that manifest? Like, what's quite sort of a common mm-hmm. way that that's demonstrated? Well, so so what's interesting is that Julia and I also work a lot with relationships. So so we can talk about that in terms of individuals, but we can also talk about this in terms of how purity culture like fucks with relationships mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, I guess starting with with individuals, that's probably easier to talk about. One of the first things that stands out is challenges in making, being able to make any sorts of decisions for oneself. 
Uh, and and decisions about everything from, I mean, how how we want to make out, how we want to have sex, like that's six, seven steps away from where a lot of people are. A lot of people have trouble making decisions about like where they want to go out for dinner or what they want to wear on a certain day. Um, so so indecisiveness, uncertainty is is a a pretty common theme that we see. And is that? Uh, in full. Do you feel like that's because so many aspects of their life has have been prescribed, basically, or is it a fear of doing things wrong? Ooh, both. A little of both. both. <laughs> yeah, and oh, the fact that the, definitely both. Yeah. And the fact that we don't we don't teach in in church systems or in school systems we don't teach people what to say yes to the only thing that people are taught is no so choices are scary and overwhelming even the even the good choices i i yeah i have a close friend and to this day sometimes we'll have these moments and we'll text each other and i know that she'll understand when i say I'm having one of those days that whether I read my new book that I'm really excited about or try this new recipe that I'm also really excited about, it might have eternal consequences. And I'm just like (laughs) in that space. Uh, And one of those other things that like in even more over the past recent weeks, not even recent years, having the sense of like, oh, those kind of quirks that I thought were like me just being... Mm like me, I'm like, oh no, that crippling anxiety around, and sometimes it is very crippling around everyday decisions mm-hmm. has so much root, um, has, has so much roots. Is that a yeah, yeah. way to say it? Um, within so many parts of many religious communities. And then that has some pretty massive consequences around sexuality specifically. Yeah, I can relate to that. I think that often it's easier to not make a choice. Right. right. Sort of to sit in this more stuck place because at least I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not making the wrong choice. And it's sort and, of a stuck place to be. And the really hard thing about that in relationships is that that position is a position of power. Mm. Because from a sex from a sex therapy perspective, uh, the person who has power in a sexual relationship is the person who initiates sex less. Or it's one form of power in the That's sexual one relationship. Form of, exactly. Not exactly. the primary. Right, right, right. right. But um, so so what we often find then is is people, often women, who are in these positions of, of, of what you just described and also being in these positions of power that, that they don't want to have, that they didn't ask for. Mm-hmm. Um, and that ends up the, the, the crippling anxiety around communicating what it is that I want, how do I do that? The inability to do that, like, hits the brakes for a relationship and can cause a lot of can cause a lot of challenges. Often, it's women. I've worked with couples where it's the male partner who um, who, who plays that role as well. The role of wanting sex less. Yes. Yeah, and that's um, this is a whole other can of worms which we can talk about or just like put on the table with all the other like (laughs) cans of worms is the idea so many cans of worms the church painting women as less sexual people Mm, when we know that is not true and we can talk more about resources later but i would encourage anyone to read dr wednesday martin who researches female sexuality and if anything, the research shows that women have greater needs for Mm. um, diversity within sexual experiences. So not only are they not less sexual, 
how you interpret the research. You could maybe even say more sexual. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I mean, I, one interpretation of it. I, I right. think that narrative that women are less sexual, it's kind of, it's burdensome for both men and for. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And I was totally. saying this to Todd the other day. Um, I came out a few years ago and so then entered into sexual relationships with men after having been married for many years uh, to a woman. And there was kind of a relief moving into that, that, oh, well, we're both men here, so we're both sexual. Mm. And it, yeah. but it's, all in your, it's all in your head. Like a lot, of the right. same, a lot of the same complexities of how do we relate to one another sexually, they're still present between two men um, as they are between a man and a woman. But kind of that idea that, oh, well, women are less sexual. So, you know, now, now I don't have to contend with that tension anymore. Right. Everyone's going to be equally sexual and it's not, it's not the case. No, thanks for sharing right. that. Yeah, that is a, a burden on on all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Relational people. And then it cuts out any form of of dialogue based on values and desires. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've had that conversation multiple times with many clients. I was also thinking when I got very married at the baby age of 22, mm-hmm. um, that um, and I'm I'm now divorced, but um my ex-husband and I had like a lot of conversations about sex. And I remember thinking like, wow, I'm like really evolved because like my friends aren't talking about sex, but like <laughs> my fiance and I, we're talking about sex like all the time. We weren't having sex, but we were talking about it. <laughs> but we were talking about like behaviors mm-hmm. and we weren't actually talking about ourselves as sexual people. Mm -hmm. And so church either cuts off conversations about sex altogether, or if you're like lucky enough to actually have some dialogue around sexuality, it is probably more about behavior than, Mm. than values or relationships. No, I'm very interested in that. And I love if you guys, cause I know that you talk about this on, on your podcast. I've, I've heard it several times. Um, where I, I think that that in, in my experience in, in evangelical communities, conversations around sexuality are first and foremost heavily laden with um, morality. Like there's, there's such mm-hmm. a moral element to it, but it is centered around specific behaviors and whether they're permitted or whether they're not. Mm-hmm. And you guys frame sex and understandings of sexuality differently than that. Um, mm-hmm. Could you explain kind of your perspective um, which I, I would say is likely healthier. Um, like, can you tell us a little bit about how you understand that framework for sex and sexuality to maybe be a little better framed for people? Yeah. One of the things that I ask people is like, what's the purpose of sex? How can sex help you become more of a wholer, more authentic, more comprehensive version of yourself? And so if we kind of talk about sex as something from the perspective of values, you know, we're thinking about like, well, what is it that I want to get out of a sexual experience? What is it that I want to explore about myself within a sexual experience? You know, so maybe one of those things that I want to explore about myself is I want to explore what it's like for me to be to be more to be more silly 
as a person. <laughs> You've used that word before on the episode. I was not expecting to use that word either. Yeah. Uh, and it surprised me. Too. I surprised me. Too. <laughs> and, and, and okay, so so great. Well, well, what's important about kind of being more silly? What's important about being uh, being able to laugh more? Mm. How does it help you be able to access yourself more? And now we're talking about not uh, positions that we're using to like fuck each other, mm-hmm. but now we're talking about how can we. How can we laugh more? How can we smile more? How can we like joke around more? Uh, and to access that part of ourselves as individuals and also our, those parts of our relationship as well. So that could be one way of kind of thinking about that. Julia, I'm curious about how you'd. The, yeah, the, the shift from that. I'm thinking of this too, Allison's question. I thought it was really good that if you're working with people, particularly from purity culture, church culture, it's been so dominated by morality, like right and wrong, black and white. This is okay. This is not. Um, And so even just the conversation we've had to this point, for some people listening, it'd be like, why would we listen to these people? They clearly don't share the same moral value that I do. And that's the only thing that dictates uh, how I make these decisions. Right. Um, You must've seen that with clients. You must've seen this shift when someone is it then grants you the authority in a sense to be able to speak and help how do you experience that i can possibly answer that with an anecdote if that's helpful yeah. i i don't want to be evasive i also sometimes believe that narrative can be a good way to mm-hmm. connect uh, all therapists have different uh, philosophies on how much they self-disclose or don't self-disclose which is again a whole other can, can of worms but i had a client who was a part of a religious institution, uh, a very conservative religious institution. And when he met with me for therapy around sexuality, um, he had received the the referral that I was someone who worked with religious folks. Mm. And for good reason, he wanted to know what that meant. And Mm -hmm. I... Um, I encourage clients to ask all kinds of questions. And so he was initially quite concerned, like, are you are you a Christian therapist? And and I explained that, no, I was not a Christian therapist. I gave him a little bit more information about my background. Um, and, and so he knew that about me going into some of our conversations. And we had some really interesting dialogues around sexuality and I remember one conversation that we had around values because he was concerned about a specific behavior. And I said, let's just take a step back. Let's put this behavior to the side. Like, tell me about some of your values around sexuality. And so one of the values that came up was around uh, sexuality being sacred. And and I said, actually, that's that's a value that I share too. Mm -hmm. And we had this really beautiful dialogue around, okay, we actually have many of the same sexual values, if not most of them, and we operationalize or enact those values differently. Mm. So that can be a really important way to connect with folks who have a who have a point of difference um, that we might not actually share any of the same values. And like, that's okay. And we can still have a good dialogue. But chances are that when we have these conversations, we assume people have very different values than we do. And they they might not have totally different values. Yeah. I mean, that that framework is is different from from so much of what I think I, I was told in in the church about what is your value around, like your values around sex rather than just purely 
behavioral. And, and I think that that's a really helpful way to reframe it because then you're like, no, how that is expressed is subjective. Like, yeah, right. right. And, and that right. you can go to a club and yeah, you can go to a sex club and have an orgy and that could be a really totally sacred experience. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or maybe it's not, but mm-hmm. that's not for mm-hmm. me to say, um, how that's sacred or not sacred. Yeah. No, I, I think that that's, sorry, Ken. Also, I was going to say, I, I just, I do like what you're saying about the importance of understanding your own values and then being able to communicate it to other people. You know, for me, moving from church culture where, you know, the, the highest value was monogamy within a marriage mm-hmm. relationship. Yeah. And then... Man and a woman. Man and a woman. Yeah, yeah. and then moving Clearly. into the gay community where I've gotten pressure in that community. You know, why aren't yeah. you having sex more often with more partners? Right? Yeah. Right. You should be doing that. And I've actually... Uh, I've had people express you know, a lack of understanding or frustration towards mm. me that they, I don't see you doing that. And and there's my own reasons for it. But um, that happens a lot in yeah. the sex therapy mm. community. Yeah. But so, they're so, religious in their own ways. Well, one yeah. of the yes. things, yeah. when you were describing that, one of the things that comes to mind is that a value is, is a process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, how are you going to do this? Yeah. So, so silliness, what I use, like, like that word in and of itself, silly is an adjective. It's, it's a descriptor. Um, and so the the work in sexuality is talking about, okay, what are what are you individually, what are the two of you going to do, the three of you, how many pe- people it is, going to do in order to enact that process, in order to enact that process mm-hmm. of silliness. Mm-hmm. Now we're having a completely different conversation because we have a group of people collaborating together um, and talking about uh, ahead of time how they want to do an experience and then hopefully being able to enact that in whatever way they end up enacting it. Like that's a completely different uh, conversation than um, than, than behaviors. Oh well, are you a top or are you a bottom? Uh, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. You know what? 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 What's your favorite position? Like, like those types of things. So yeah. Um, for me, just something that I, I was pondering as we were leading up to this conversation. Where do you think people can find sexual role models? You know, like sexual therapy. Ooh. Sexual therapy is so valuable, but. Um, oh, wow. where can we find like sexual role models? Um, cause I was just talking about, we don't want to take all our cues from our communities. We want to, we want yeah. to have this values conversation. Where do we find, where do you think, like, how, how do you, That's how do you, question. how would you suggest people kind of find sexual role models? That's that... a brilliant question. I've never yeah. heard that question. <laughs> oh, okay. I love it. I know. I love it. I think you go um, to a church and say, I, yeah. I need, oh. <laughs> I'm looking for a sexual mentor. Get kicked out of the Zoom call. <laughs> I'm, look, I'm looking for a mentor. Uh, yeah. Someone to show me. Well, so, so, um, so Peggy Kleinplatz, uh, who's a sex therapist, wrote uh, and recently published a book called Magnificent Sex. Mm-hmm. And in Magnificent Sex, she interviews both sex therapists and also interviews couples who have been uh, in a, some sort of a relationship for over 25 years. So people who are inherently then in their 50s, 60s, 70s, about what is it that creates uh, great sex? And I would love personally to get uh, her, her list of people that she interviewed. Obviously, we can't because confidentiality and all that stuff. But she talks, about, but the way that Kleinpatz talks about sexuality is almost exclusively about the quality of a relationship hmm. and the way that, that two people work together to uh, to respect each other, to be honest with each other, and also the ways that they create experiences to be their authentic selves and, and, and to have fun with each other. 
so I'm thinking about Klein Platz's book because the sexual role models uh, that probably exist out there aren't probably the typical ser- right. uh, sexual role models you'd think about. Mm. Uh, your your um, you know your influencers on TikTok mm. or social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, shit. Even like young yeah. uh, Julia, you and I, I think doing the best that we can. But I'm really excited to see what our work looks like in 20 years yeah. mm-hmm. uh, with with the with the additional wisdom. Uh, the additional experiences that we have. Um, so I would encourage folks to look to to look to older people, mm-hmm. um, to look to people in longer term relationships, and asking how do they, um, how do people in longer term relationships like keep positive, keep optimal sexuality going? Like there's a sexual wisdom that might not be our <laughs> vision of sexiness right now. Right, right, but like right. you know, if I'm looking for a sexual role model, right? If yeah. Like, well, you're looking for someone who is sort of sexually arousing for you that you want to pattern yourself after, or you're looking for somebody that has wisdom, like sexual wisdom. And sure. I, 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 which I think is a distinction. I hear you. I agree. And, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that's a valuable one. Yeah. Yeah. Peggy Kleinplatz definitely takes that approach. Amanda and, just and, looked her up. She's Canadian. Ooh, yay, we'll to, take her. All right. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Magnific- University of Ottawa. <laughs> Magnificent sex. So we have to sing a little bit of the anthem now. <laughs> Magnificent <laughs> sex, yes. She's 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 definitely not American. Magnificent because, no. Canadian sex. Magnificent <laughs> Canadian sex. <laughs> I'm interested in like I, I think I've got some thoughts of maybe how we've arrived to the place where particularly I mean, I don't think it's exclusively in church communities, but I think that that evangelicalism in North America is so prevalent it seeps into the culture. Um but how do you how do you think like what have you experienced in your work um as how do you think that we got to the place where the conversation is so foundationally about behaviors like where did that come from thanks for joining us in our conversation with julia and jeremiah uh we're going to conclude this conversation in two weeks time when we answer the question that we have now left you in complete suspense of of how we actually got here to begin with So join us in two weeks' time. Thanks for listening to Rector's Cupboard. Rector's Cupboard is a production of Reflector Project and is hosted and produced by Todd Weeb, Allison Williams, and Amanda Mina. Our cupboard master is Ken Bell. Rector's Cupboard is made possible by the generous support of donors. Check out rectorscupboard.ca for past episodes, events, and how you can help fund the podcast. You can also support Rector's Cupboard by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, which helps other people find us. Thanks for listening.